Hey, Three Crosses family, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Pastor AJ. I oversee life groups and discipleship, and we are in our Advent series called A Sacred Scandal. We're looking at the genealogy of Jesus, and today we have an episode on Ruth. So we'll be looking at the book of Ruth today. So we're going to have a great conversation, and with that, let's go deeper. joining us in the podcast studio for a conversation about Ruth is none other than Pastor Ryan Suzuki. Pastor Ryan, thank you for filling in over these hey, past couple weeks. Thank you. No problem. It's it's great to be on this side of the mic again. I like I like you doing what you do. I personally loved your let's go deeper uh, <laughs> ring to it. Yes. Um, so I had a good <laughs> kick as I was listening in my car because I listened to our podcast. I know. It's an incredible. Go figure. I told you, like, go enjoy your family, your newborn. Uh, it's like, you listen to the podcast. It's great. <laughs> uh, it's great. Well, it's good to be back on the mic, and thank you for all your prayers. Uh, healthy baby, everything's great. So, um, but we're here for Ruth, and what an amazing story Ruth is. So many questions. Let's just jump right into it. Um, the book starts off Ruth one, chapter one. This is going to be a long podcast. In the days when the judges ruled, and so we got to stop there. We've only gotten what seven words in. We got to stop because. In the opening of your sermon, you mentioned that this context, in the days when the judges ruled, brought out relative important information. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, this uh, motif in Judges, there was no king. It comes up four times near the end of the book. Um, I'm thinking of Deuteronomy 17 that talks about, like, uh, yeah, it's okay to look for a king. And um, what we were thinking about and what we talked about was... um, that in the placement of the book of Ruth, there's an interesting dilemma going on because in the original Hebrew order, which is called the Tanakh, um, and you might get confused about what that is, just know that before we had our English Bible the way it is today, the Hebrew uh, tradition kept it in a certain way. And so basically, the way they kept it, Ruth fits into a different slot. And so Ruth fits into what's called the writings, and it's surrounded by books like Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Songs even. Um, The collection includes also Lamentations, Esther. And so my first question is, what does the context say um, that eventually it found itself right next to the book of Judges, but it can also fit in the writings too? So where does this book fit? It seems like a wild card um, sort of book in Ruth. It's just amazing. So. Yeah. So uh, so in the Tanakh, it's placed right after Proverbs, after the book of Proverbs. And if you know the book of Proverbs, it ends with Proverbs 31, which talks about this like virtuous woman. Um, this kind of what it looks like to be a virtuous woman. And really Ruth kind of almost explains or gives an example of what that woman looks like. Go ahead and read Proverbs 31 and you can overlay that in Ruth's life. And you could say like, wow, Ruth is the exemplar of this person. And so that's how it was in this, in this earliest kind of collection of the Old Testament, of what we now know as the Old Testament, was Ruth was almost explained uh, what it looked like to be this virtuous, godly, wise woman, which she certainly is. 
Um, and a later ordering of the Old Testament that the Jewish people use is called the Masoretic Text, um, the Hebrew collection of the Old Testament. It was placed after Song of Songs. So if you've read Song of Songs, yeah. It's, uh, like, it's a, it's a, it's this. It's a book. It's a book. <laughs> uh, you know, read it. You know, some people have been, <laughs> some people have been like coming into our sermons uh, in this last series like, oh, I brought my kids here. Maybe I should have. So I'll advise the same thing before you read Song of Songs to your kids. Make sure to read that. But it's, it is, it is, um, how am I going to put this? It's a story about marriage and romance and and love and sex and sex. I'll just, I can say that on the podcast. Hope your kids, you know, sorry if you have to explain what that is now, but it is those things. And Ruth is almost, it comes out of that. There's an interesting part of the romance, the marriage links it to that. So fast forward to the New Testament when Jesus is walking the earth, when the apostle Paul is writing his letters and all this other things are happening. We have a Greek version of the Old Testament, something called the Septuagint. And that has the order that we are more familiar with today, which places kind of in a more like Greco-Roman, a more uh, a society that is talking more about history, kind of the order. It's placed in a more chronological order. So when you look at your Old Testament right now, it's placed in order primarily, the narrative of it is placed chronologically. And so we see Ruth placed after Judges because Ruth takes place during the time of the Judges. So all that to say, there's all these different orders, and I feel like what comes out, even from a New Testament and a kind of historical perspective, a historical ordering, is you get to, especially for us who are post-crucifixion, resurrection, um, in the era of the church, we see, like, we see the seeds of redemption story in the story of Ruth. We see even like Boaz is this redeemer, he's this redeemer of a bride, and we see, like, we can just overlay Christ onto that, that Christ came to redeem the church. A lot of times when you look at the Old Testament, you have these ideas of there's a version of it in the Old Testament, a fulfillment of something in the Old Testament, and we see an even greater fulfillment in Christ. So if Boaz and Ruth are almost like a, there's some part of it that seems almost like a redemption story of even a Judah and Tamar, I kind of brought that out on Sunday, Judah and Tamar is a story of a failed uh, the, the family of Judah failed to do their uh, what was obliged to them to do uh, for Tamar, and they violated God's law, and God made it happen anyway because God's a redeemer. Ruth is a story of Boaz doing the right thing in redeeming Ruth, and Jesus is like the greater version of Boaz, more righteous, more perfect, a better redeemer than Boaz as he redeems the entire, all those who would put their faith and trust in him would bring redemption and offer redemption to the entire world. So yeah, we see all those different orders and it's interesting how God has allowed that to happen, even just the kind of formation of it all. I love the Proverbs 31 connection because I'm just looking at some of the scripture right now and uh, just looking at the description in view of who Ruth was, uh, a wife of noble character, um, the husband is respected at the city gates. There's a lot of work ethic going on. And uh, if you're familiar with Proverbs, it's all about wisdom. Like it opens with lady wisdom giving uh, advice, and then it ends with this Proverbs 31 woman. And so you would expect in the book of Ruth to see wisdom. And that's exactly what the next question is about. Because if you continue reading from the very first verse, uh, there was a famine in the land. And they went to sojourn to Moab, uh, Naomi and her wife, and uh, his, her two sons, 
the name of the man was Elimelech. So you said that it was God is king. And the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malone and Chilion. And that, those are kind of funny because it's literally man of sickness and coming to an end. <laughs> Pretty brutal to name your kids that, I guess. Um, and what ends up happening is Elimelech, Malone, Chilion all die. And really, the, the two wives of these two sons, Malone and Chilion, are, are ended, they end up in a really tough spot. And what I found fascinating about what you said in your sermon uh, that I maybe have never really thought about was not necessarily Ruth's decision just yet, we'll get into that, but Orpah's, the other wife. Because you said that there was kind of some understanding to Orpah's decision, whereas oftentimes in my heart, because it's juxtaposed against Ruth, I often have the tendency to think, oh, well, Orpah did the wrong thing here. And so... I want to dive into the wisdom of Ruth here. What is going on in in Ruth's mind? And how does this comparison between what Orpah does and what Ruth does illuminate and bring to the surface this seemingly like resolve, this this determination to want to stay with Naomi? Where is that coming from? So Orpah and Ruth, I mean, on the one hand, it's not clear. I mean, the, the text doesn't seem to make a judgment, a negative judgment on Orpah. Uh, she's making this decision. She's doing it through tears. It's clear that there's this big emotional decision. And the text seems sympathetic to her. It seems understandable. And then she is just gone. There's no more judgment rendered on her or any more thoughts about her. But for Ruth, we see this incredible transformation. And yeah, it is resolve. It is, it is this change. And if you were here about a month ago, I did a message in our Explore God series. And it reminds me of a little bit of the story that I told at that time about a distant family member that lived generations ago in Japan, and he had this moment of of clarity around God, that he knew that there was a God, that there was a knowable God, and that he had to leave his homeland in order to meet and know and to find this God. And it was this, it's an incredible story. You can go back and listen to that if you want to. I won't go through the whole story here, but I feel like there's these moments that we have. Probably you as our listeners out there, you've had this moment too, where you come to a knowledge of who God is in some sense, and it's caused you or pushed you or drawn you to make a decision. And I feel like that's where Ruth is right here. She makes this, I I said it on Sunday, and I want to just remind us back, like, what does Ruth say? What does she do? You know, she tells Naomi, stop trying to convince me to stay. I'm coming with you. Uh, Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And again, I kind of brought this out. She evokes an Uh, she invokes the divine name. You know, when you see in your Bible, there's these different renderings of God. And this one right here, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And that's the divine name. That's Yahweh, as God has revealed himself to his people. And she is, it's clear that this isn't just some trite thing that she's saying. She's not just saying something nice to her mother-in-law to get into her good graces. I mean, obviously not. She is making, embarking on a radical change in her life. I mean, she is leaving, like so many people in the scriptures, leaving everything they know, even their homeland, to go and make this decision to follow God. And I think for her, like when you've, maybe some of our listeners out there, I mean, AJ, you and I have had this experience. There's those moments where you're convinced of who God is and you lay down everything to follow him. Like everything belongs to him. And that's this moment that Ruth has here. And it really, it drives the rest of her story. 
her resolution to follow God, the God of Israel, is is everything to her, and she's willing to give up everything. It reminds me of the parables that Jesus talks about, you know, the person who, like, when they, when you discover who God is, when you discover the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's like a man who is willing to sell everything to buy a precious field, um, because he knows that's, like, where the good news is, and so that's for us. Ruth is having this moment of clarity and of transformation to follow God. I love where the story goes, because they return to Bethlehem, and you see the, the weight of the situation when people start uh, seeing Naomi, like, is this actually the Naomi that left us a while ago? And she says, yeah, don't call me Naomi anymore. Don't call me Mara. Call me, the, call me bitter. Um, the situation is bitter. And that's when we meet this man named Boaz. And so Ruth 2.1 says, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And what's interesting about Boaz is that we don't really know much about this character except for the relationship he has with Naomi. And um, we've been following in this sacred scandal series, the lineage in uh, Matthew 1. And what's fascinating in Matthew 1 is in verses 5 and 6, it says that Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And I found this so fascinating, this little nugget that somehow, some way, there's a relationship with Rahab. And as I was digging into it, I started thinking, okay, wait a second, Boaz is really close to King David, whereas the fall of Jericho may have been a couple hundred years ago. So is there a discrepancy here? Did Matthew make a mistake? What's the association with Rahab and Boaz? Yeah, I was just thinking about like this story. I mean, again, we started even Austin Payne the other week talking about, you know, always fun to work with a genealogy. It's the thing we skip over. But when you look at it, it is fascinating. Um, there's this fascinating reality to it. And yeah, like there's, there's some parts of this where feel is, there's a theme that Matthew is trying to draw us through, through the very real lineage of Jesus. And Rahab, Tamar, Ruth, these are the three, three, of the, the three women we've already covered. All of them are foreigners. All of them are foreigners. And maybe even for Boaz, maybe like this relationship to Rahab. Maybe that's one of those things that reminds him of his, of what God can do, even through the people that maybe they don't, they don't seem to fit the mold, to fit the story. And on the one hand, I talked about how uh, at the beginning, there was some level of disobedience on some level where, where Elimelech's family, his sons, married foreign women. That was a, a kind of, again, that was against the law, against God's law. And yet, as we see in Rahab, uh, as we see in Tamar, that while their circumstances are not the same, we see that even through very ugly uh, situations, through very difficult situations, through very... Um, off-the-beaten-path situations, God is a redeemer. So maybe this is a story that's told into the life of Boaz. It's part of his upbringing, and he sees Ruth like, well, now she's a part of our people. Now she, she has married one of our people, and it is my obligation 
to redeem her. So I'm not sure if that's what's there or that's what's in his mind, but certainly it's when we look at even this genealogy of Matthew, we see glimpses and hints and just call-outs to that reality. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things this podcast has trained my brain to do in these services, Ryan, is uh, think skeptically, which leads to my skeptic question. And this one isn't going to be so much outside looking in. It's going to be a real in-house question, uh, a skeptical question coming from a Christian's perspective. Because I think our culture implicitly suggests that when we face a situation, that there is a way in which we can passively wait for, you know, the writing and the stars to spell out what exactly we're going to do. But one of the things I loved about your sermon is you brought out the fact that Ray, uh, sorry, Ruth went straight to gleaning and she worked extra hard and she got the attention of everyone. Who is this woman that's, that's doing this thing for her family? And it's almost as if that work ethic sparked this whole story. In a similar way, you said that um, when on the threshing floor scene, when Naomi suggested that Ruth go and uncover the the ankles, whatever that means, of Boaz, um, you still had to do that, right? You still had to go in. And I loved your hiding analogy. You know, waiting in the in the in the, the bushes the, in the <laughs> poinsettias. Um, and you know, I think. There's something about decision-making that's been coming out in these last two episodes. You know, last week we talked about Rahab. Um, You know, when you're stuck in a certain thing, what is that thing that's going to help you go over the edge to make the change that you're looking for in your life? In this situation today, we have another story of a woman who is actively being responsible, being faithful to what's in front of her. And yet so often as a Christian, I'm taught to kind of just wait for that voice, wait for that nudge, wait for that sign, wait for that uh, circumstance. And I've heard this story so much, like um, this happened and this happened, this happened. So could, could we double down on the conversation on decision making? And what is the balance between um, actively pursuing something in this situation, doing things like what Ruth is doing here, working hard, uh, doing what's in front of her, and then being a passive recipient of what the Lord is orchestrating in life. I, I've thought about like probably the number one question I've ever gotten in my pastoral ministry is people asking me, how do I figure out God's will for me in my life? It could be, how do I figure out God's will for me in my job or my, the person I'm supposed to marry or in whatever decision we're supposed to make? And I feel like on the one hand, there's this part of that question is, I want to do the right thing for, so I'm on the right, uh, I'm in God's good graces, which is a good thing. You know, there's a, I really want to honor and acknowledge that part where it's, we want to be on the same path that God would have us be on. And then there's sometimes where we're just wanting God to just give direction. And I think there's some ways I, my kind of response to that is always like, well, God has revealed a lot of his will to us, and we can go and live into that. So, I mean, for us as believers, hey, God's will for you is that you would worship him, that we'd go make disciples of all nations, that we have all these different ways that God has um, already set in motion what it is we're supposed to do. And then sometimes along the way, it's we're noticing, we're seeing, we're experiencing like where God is leading, and you get those nudges in your spirit. Where I think that's the Holy Spirit stirring in you. Sometimes you get those nudges through people's advice. 
like Ruth and Naomi. And there's this part two, kind of almost the second part of that is the scriptures. I talked about this in a sermon I did last summer when I was uh, just guest speaking here. Um, but there's this part where like the, the, the scriptures, God has always highlighted, celebrated, honored hard work and dedication and just kind of stepping into things and being faithful to him. So kind of an answer to this question, for Ruth, we just see this happening. She she doesn't know what the answer is, but she knows that the answer is lies in her obedience and faithfulness. So it's just, she's such an interesting character because she basically has no flaws in this story. She just listens and she obeys. So some of our listeners, you might be in a difficult season, like, I don't know what's next. My encouragement to you would be to to step out in faith in what you do know. So maybe you're having, you're a parent, you're not sure what to do with, you know, your future, your kids, all these types of things, like where they should go, where they should go to school. Maybe that's the question you're asking or um, how you should, the first thing you're going to do is just step out and say, I'm going to be a godly parent to my children. I'm going to love them. I'm going to be bringing them to church so they might know the Lord. I'm going to do all these different things. And along the way, maybe God will give you clarity around some of those questions. Um, If you're married and you're trying to figure out, like, where should we move? Where should we, you know, set up shop? Where should we go to church? Well, first thing you're going to do is be a godly husband or wife and spouse and care for, love love your spouse and point them towards Jesus. And along the way, you're going to get some clarity around some of those things. For Ruth, I just love it. She's just faithful to hearing what God has for her, and she goes along the way. And, a, and it just becomes, for her, very clear what to do. By the end, there's total clarity. Okay, she's redeemed by Boaz. She has his family, and now her children are part of the line of kings. It's this beautiful, um, this picture. And also, even related to that, we have, we have Naomi, who is maybe the more, like, kind of lamenting for part of it. Uh, she is, definitely has this bitterness, definitely has this sorrow, definitely has this pain, and she has to be the recipient of what God is doing. But on the same time, like, you see something change in Naomi, too, as she sees, I, I do think, I believe, that Naomi sees a little bit of, like, behind the curtain, like, wait, is this the way that God is going to bring redemption? And she starts, like, stepping into that, um, hey, isn't maybe Boaz is one of her redeemers, isn't he? Why don't you go to the fields and glean? Why don't you go to the threshing floor and un- uncover the lower legs of, <laughs> of, of Boaz? And I feel, feel like so for you today, for our listeners, um, my encouragement would be just step out in faith with what you know. So with whatever you know what to do. I think most of us, we have that next step. And if you can't discern that, if you can't, get, get someone in your life that you trust. You know, Naomi, despite her being having this season of bitterness, she was a woman that she identified, she was a person that identified God as the source of the good, um, and she identified him as the source of the Redeemer, and so she stepped out in faith in that. So find that person that can speak truth into your life. Um, Sometimes we're in a dark season and a difficult season, and we just need someone who's not in that season to help us along the way, so getting advice there, and then stepping out in faith, and then having eyes to see, just being aware. I talked about this kind of awareness of God's blessing blessing along the way as provision. Maybe it's even time to take inventory, um, just sit down and say, where have I seen, where have you seen God providing for you, even in a season of questioning or a season of struggle or a season of darkness? Yeah, well, even last week when Danny and I were talking, we talked about the importance sometimes of community. This is why, I mean, we exist in these communities. That's why, you know, AJ, you're the 
pastor over our life groups, like you're passionate about people being discipled and being in a place of life groups because like with fellow believers, with other people, because that's where godly wisdom, even going back to this Proverbs 31 kind of idea or the Proverbs uh, idea of wisdom, like that's where God is going to speak to us. God's going to speak to us through his word. God's going to speak to us uh, through our prayer life. And God's absolutely going to speak to us uh, through our fellow believers and through this community of faith. You know, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's in all these areas. That's why we encourage y'all to be a part of a community. If you're not, Send an email. Yeah, send an email. AJ, <laughs> AJ at threecrosses.church. Yes, and we'd love to help you do that because that's where you're going to have... You, we all need those people that can speak truth into our lives. Right. You know, the more I listen to this Ruth story, the more I resonate with your Hallmark rom-com uh, analogy. <laughs> um, it's such a beautiful story. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you is... Here's this beautiful story nestled within this series called Sacred Scandal. I'm like looking for the scandal. I'm trying to figure out where it is. And I think where it is, is in a part that you had to skip for your sermon due to time. And that's why we have the podcast for The Cutting Room Floor. And uh, it comes out of Ruth 4, uh, 2 to 6. Because when Ruth asks to be redeemed, Boaz doesn't say yes initially. He says there's actually somebody closer in your lineage that is in line to redeem you. And so this is how the scene shakes out. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, the person who was in line to redeem Ruth and the family, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention, elders, and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, guardian redeemer, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. So it's this mysterious guardian redeemer, and then it's Boaz. So this person is still standing in the way of that true happy ending. And shockingly, this guardian redeemer says, I will redeem it, he said. But then Boaz comes with one of the coolest lines. He says, oh yeah, the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also have to acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And then the text says this, at this, the guardian redeemer in line to redeem Ruth and Naomi said, well, I can't do it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. So it seems like at the hearing of Ruth the Moabite, his attitude turns completely sour. And yet Boaz is right there standing in line. So as I'm looking at this and trying to figure out where the scandal is, what did this guardian redeemer hear that turned him sour, that that made him repulse at the fact of redeeming this situation. Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about a little bit earlier and kind of mentioning even the sermon, but the real scandal, of course, of Ruth is that Ruth is not an Israelite. That is the key. So God had told, kind of at the beginning, we talked about her sons, uh, sorry, Elimelech's sons, Naomi's sons. Uh, they married, they intermarried with the Moabites with the Moabite women. Ruth is a Moabite. And the Moabites were the enemies of God. They were part, in the judges, like Moabites are often like oppressing God's people, attacking God's people. Um, you see that in the story of the judge Ehud and all these things. So 
they're these, they're outsiders. You don't marry outsiders. And so even this other guardian redeemer, this kinsman redeemer, as soon as he hears a Moabite, you know, we're not totally sure, like maybe he already had a wife or all these other, but what, you know, it is like clearly there in the story. Ruth, the Moabite. And at that, <laughs> yeah, you're right. He turns like, well, hold on. So maybe he's thinking about his own family bloodline purity. Maybe he's thinking like, I don't want this to be a part of my, my lineage going forward or whatever it is. But that is a real scandalous thing. And also, you know, we know that from last week, Rahab was also, she was a Canaanite. She was not of God's, she was also not Israelite. But sometimes when we think about Rahab, we think about more of like the prostitute thing. And that's more easily identified like, that's scandalous. That's the scandal. But absolutely up there with that, like with uh, Rahab's kind of profession and what she did was absolutely the fact that she was a Canaanite. And so we see this thing like in the story. And again, I think that's why they're in the genealogy in Matthew is because they are very notable. It's even this theme of, um, you know, a lot of times we look at the Israelites, they're God's people. They're the special, like they're the special people that were more righteous. That's, you might, and I will say, wrongly believe that the Israelites were more righteous than the other nations. That's not really the point of it all. Really like, they were the people that God chose. Like when God chose Abraham, he chose them to be an instrument of pointing people to bring blessing to all nations. The Israelites were supposed to be um, a model so that other nations would know God, that they would know the God of Israel, that they would know the God of the universe. And in the New Testament, um, we see that in Jesus, like Jesus, the work isn't done until Jesus dies for the sins of the world. And the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians that Jesus' work on the cross broke down the dividing wall of Gentiles and Jewish people. So against Israelites and the rest of the world, the nations coming in. So even in, I think Matthew is careful to show in his genealogy, look, it's not just the people you'd expect to be in the line of Jesus. Even the lineage leading up to King David, man, even David. David is not a pure blood Israelite. He is this mixture of all these different, like, of scandalous people. Scandalous in terms of maybe reputation. Scandalous maybe in terms of how they were treated. I think about Tamar. Like, Tamar was severely mistreated, rejected, neglected, outcast, and yet she's a part. God redeems her story. Rahab was an outsider in terms of nationality and of, you know, we might say of, like, morality. And God redeems her story. She needs this change. She takes it. And Ruth, an outcast in terms of nationality, and background, and yet she is the paragon and the example of this virtuous woman, a Proverbs 31 woman, a real a woman full of faith, and, you know, kind of, I think about when Jesus, he talks, I think it's to the centurions, like, I have not seen greater faith in all of Israel than of this kind of outsider. I feel like that's the same thing as Ruth. Like, Ruth is, there's no greater faith in all of Israel, and the ironic part of it, it's not even from an Israelite, it's from an outsider. As you're speaking, I think what I'm finding is that looking at a simple genealogy in Matthew 1 is helping me better understand this story of Christmas, this long-awaited Messiah coming to us through this abnormal lineage, this crazy lineage. And that's where the book of Ruth ends, in Ruth 4, at the very tail end of it. 
it just throws connections all over the place. And so one of them that you brought out was the genealogy. And we kind of mentioned that with the Rahab story where Boaz, the father of Obed, 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 the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. So Ruth just gets ingrained into this lineage of the kings. But even before that, in verses 11 and 12, it talks about um, the elders essentially blessing this exchange, saying, we are witnesses, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, two famous Old Testament characters in the book of Genesis, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. And here's the kicker. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And so already we've, we've, traversed three different women in this genealogy. We've seen Tamar, we've seen uh, Rahab, and we've seen Ruth. How are these women helping us understand this Christmas story better? Yeah, it was just, the the genealogy, it is so funny. Like, the genealogy has become, become this thing that's so informative. It's not just a list, of, it's not just like a 23andMe Although, hey, I mean, I was looking at my 23 and me. It's fascinating. It is interesting. <laughs> um, but you see just this work of God as he is redeeming all things. Um, next week, uh, Patty Crone, our director of care and equipping, is going to be talking about King uh, David and Bathsheba. And again, like, it's, it's a scandalous story. And there's these moments where, I, I don't know, when I look at this this at these sermons, when I hear these sermons, when I look at this lineage, when I think about these people, these women especially, you see a ton of brokenness, and yet in the end, through the brokenness, through all this like pain, whatever it is, all these like scandals, you get Jesus. <laughs> that's who, that's what this is all about. This brings us to um, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Think about like even Rachel and Leah. I mean, they're the, they're the wives of Jacob. Um, and their story, it's, it's so complicated. And it's so, there's a lot of sadness. And even though they come to a place of agreement in the end, even those, those two women, man, like you look back, it's like, that's a, I can't imagine their life was anything but a lot of kind of pain. Um, and dissatisfaction, and yet God brings life out of that. God brings a savior from that. God brings kings and and redemption through that. I think about yeah, when they celebrate, it's such an odd thing. Uh, they're celebrating like may your house, you know, may your house be like that of Perez, you know, who Tamar bore to Judah. I mean, Judah and Tamar again. Go back and listen to that. It's 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 this story. And again, for me, it's one of those moments where I just it makes me believe even more. It reinforces my faith. Like, why would God share this with us? Why would the authors of Scripture share this with us unless it was true and unless it pointed to the redeeming power of God? So even that, it's not, it's not like the people in Boaz and Ruth's day didn't know all the scandal around, you know, around Perez and his family, Judah and Tamar. They knew all of it, and yet what they could see, even even then, even you know, a couple generations later, they see the power of God to redeem and to continue to work even in the midst of our own disobedience. So when we look at this story, even in this Christmas season, I do feel like you know, the response to this series, 
every week whoever's been preaching is getting getting positive feedback for people relating because I think we all in some way we find ourselves in this story of course we do because again like we were just talking about Jesus came to redeem all things all people everyone he came to redeem every person listening to this this podcast every person that's not listening to this podcast everyone that's in our in our church on a Sunday or in our community or all around the East Bay and all over the world he came to redeem all these people and so we're going to see ourselves, we're going to see our story, we're going to see um, where God is redeeming our lives when we read these things, because it's, it's, God came to redeem us too. And so I think what's remarkable about God sharing these stories with us, kind of this is how he works, he redeems in spite of all this stuff. It's to remind us that for us today, we can be reminded that there's some people out there, you may feel unredeemable. You are not. If if uh, Judah is redeemable after what he, he his family did to Tamar, like, you're redeemable. If, like, if Rahab being, like, this outcast, outside person, outside the covenant, like, destined for destruction with the people of Jericho can be redeemed, like, you can be redeemed. If Ruth, this Moabite woman, can become this, like, can be this paragon of faithfulness and virtue, and God just redeems her story, like, it's just, it is a tragic story. And yet it ends with a wedding and with this, this, this true love um, you can be redeemed. And in this Christmas season, it's all about redemption. It's all about this work of redemption that we're celebrating. You know, I think I, I said in the sermon, it's like, this is the, this, the, the birth of Jesus Christ is kind of like, it's the beginning of the end of the story of redemption, that God promises redemption through this line, through this people. And now we see it, the ultimate person born, like the lineage ends with Jesus the King of kings and Lord of lords, come to redeem all of us. And now we're all part, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, um, if we believe in him and trust in him, we're numbered amongst his family. We're like, we're his brothers and sisters. We're co-heirs with Christ. And now we're literally, we are in this lineage. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, we're part of this too. And we're part of the work of God to redeem all things, all people who would call upon his name. I love the connection we made to this genealogy, all the way to Ruth, all the way to Proverbs. There's a lot of wisdom to be gleaned. So definitely wrestle with these concepts as you think about the stories and how Jesus came to redeem them. And then also realizing that, yeah, we are in this story and thinking about the tradition over these 2,000 years since we've seen Jesus walk this earth, this story of, again, fallen people, but God continues to be faithful to those who would have faith in him. And so, Ryan, thank you so much for this session where we get to meditate on these things and long for the return of our King. Thanks. It's great to be here.